Welcome to Whitestone Podcast from the Whitestone Forum. This podcast is for business and nonprofit leaders like you and me, specifically designed around building, polishing, and leveraging our competencies. Each episode will provide a lens through which ever-growing citizens of God's kingdom can think about very effectively impacting every one of their organizations. For Whitestone Podcast, I'm Kevin Miller. We're in a series about Abraham, a man whose life is astoundingly instructive to ponder. A number of episodes back, we spoke about Abraham's nephew, Lot, a man who brought much trouble into Abraham's life. We named that episode, A Lot of Troubles. (laughs) Today, we're going to expand on a particular story we just barely mentioned in that episode, the events encompassing the saving of Lot and his family in the midst of of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because it's so rich in perspective for us today. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 18, where the covenant with Abraham was reaffirmed and Isaac's birth was foretold. Then in that same chapter, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was announced. And then that culminated with Abraham pleading for the righteous who might be living there. Now, you likely remember what's really interesting here, that Abraham boldly pleads with God to save the city if 50 righteous might live there. Then Abraham negotiates further, getting that number of the righteous down to 10. But here's the thing. Like Abraham's own righteousness, this righteousness for others who might live in a corrupt geographic area is happening well before the law of Moses has been given. Again, Abraham is pleading on behalf of the righteous. Yes, he's pleading chronologically before the law of Moses. And God acknowledges that and promises he will not act if ten righteous are there. Then comes those powerful verses in the first portion of Genesis 19. You recall what happened. God honors Abraham and sends angels to warn Lot about the impending devastation of the geographic area where he and his family live. And after Lot's family had left the Sodom and Gomorrah area, yes, after, quote, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar, unquote, God rained sulfur and fire from heaven on those cities, its people and its land. But Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt, Yeah, Lot's wife had a heart problem. Looking back at an unrighteous place where she lived, a locale unworthy of her adulation. Hey, we might be tempted to think, if only the people of Sodom had the law of Moses, all would have been well. Not so fast. Many centuries after God gave the law, and decades After the northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen, a frightening word of the Lord came to Jerusalem via the prophet Ezekiel. And I'm quoting, And your, and the word your means Jerusalem here, elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters, unquote. Okay. So God connects Jerusalem with Sodom. Then he said, quote, 
Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done, unquote. That's Ezekiel 16, 46 to 48 in the ESV. So, Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, was more corrupt than Sodom. All that was centuries after the law of Moses was given by God, and centuries after God's continuing faithfulness to Jerusalem had been abundant and clear. But why hadn't the law of Moses worked? Well, the Bible tells us that the law doesn't decrease sin. It actually increases sin, Romans 5.20. And Romans 7.5 says that while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions are aroused by the law. So in Romans 3.10, the Apostle Paul quoted Psalm 14 from the Old Testament. Quote, none is righteous, no, not one. Unquote. But just a few words later, in Romans 3, 21 to 22, Paul wrote about this remedy. And I'm quoting, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, unquote. Amazing. So, are you trying to make your city, your nation, righteous? That's awesome. But there's only one path for that, and it's not by installing better laws. Remember, the law increases sin, and that path is not doing good works. The only possible path is clear. Every person made a disciple of Christ, that each may be made righteous through him. Still more burdens lifted at the cross. Yes, we're simply to be His ambassadors. And Jesus gave us a report of His sending out ambassador disciples on mission. Luke chapter 10 verse 1 in the ESV tells us that Jesus, quote, "...appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two." into every town and place where he himself was about to go, unquote. He told them to, quote, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town, unquote. That's Luke chapter 10, verses 9 to 12. Clearly implied in Jesus' admonition to any unreceptive town is this. Those who are unreceptive to Him cannot be declared righteous. Still, after believers receive Christ's righteousness by faith, just what are we to do with that? Do we use that righteousness to condemn other individuals or other nations? That's not God's intent. Instead, we are compelled by Christ to offer that very righteousness through Christ 
to whoever would call upon the name of Jesus. As the Apostle Paul said to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, 24, quote, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, unquote. Yes, indeed, Paul is a trustworthy, persevering model for believers everywhere. Testify to all of the gospel of grace. But wait, let's remember a key point about the Sodom event and all other places after that. Yes, God destroyed the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sulfur and fire rained down on all the unrighteous. Yes, it was a really bad locale. But Ezekiel's later word revealed that even Jerusalem was more unrighteous than the ungodly locales that Judah looked down on. Yes, in God's eyes, both locales stood condemned. And it's like that today. Cities and nations stand condemned before God. So for serious believers, it's not fruitful to claim their locale is more righteous than others, not even supposedly Christian nations. Hey, the truth is, only individual followers of Jesus are justified by faith in Christ. Salvation is by individual belief responding to the gospel, not by extolling a, quote, Christian heritage, unquote, of a city or nation. Not by the mere church-going habits of the populace and not by a futile pursuit of law righteousness by a city or nation. In fact, there are only two, quote, locales, unquote, to distinguish in this new covenant era, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. We know from Colossians 1.13 that every believer is transferred to the kingdom of God. The only locale where the imputed righteousness from Christ abounds. And every believer is an ambassador for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Yes, that's God making His appeal through us, His followers. Okay, but just where is the physical locale of the kingdom of God today? Well, it's wherever there's an ambassador for Christ. And those believers, all of us, are to be dispersed to and in every nation, making disciples of Jesus, regardless of the perceived or actual moral standing of the nation where our physical presence is. Yes, God's judgment is coming to some horrible places, but His judgment is also coming to those places we think of as more desirable too. You know, the ones in those beautiful travel brochures. So in and of itself, we are not to fret agonizingly or even unduly that we might reside in a corrupt earthly place because all the kingdoms of this world do and will fall short. Okay, so what's the final word from Jesus here? In John 17, verses 15 to 16, Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven about his followers. And I'm quoting, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them 
from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, unquote. Yes, that is really clear. We are to be in the world, but not of it. In quite a groundbreaking way, Abraham himself was a sort of ambassador for God's mercy, and God sent his angels to Abraham's nephew Lot and his family, those who Abraham modeled faith to. Apparently, Lot's family members were the specific righteous people that Abraham had in mind for God's mercy, and they responded in faith, departing from the doomed area. Remember that Peter calls Lot the righteous one who was rescued. 2 Peter 2, verse 7. Perhaps you responded in faith after an ambassador for Christ proclaimed the gospel to you and maybe even pleaded on your behalf when you were in jeopardy. Here's a direct result, bottom line, of our faith. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. Stunning. But that's not all. Believers are not bound to the destinies of unrighteous nations. Now that's crazy good. Thank you for listening to Whitestone Podcast. Visit our website, whitestone.org, for more real-world equipping. There you'll find uncommon video teachings, application and action questions for this podcast episode, and more. Also, check out our unique downloadable resources for group meetups. That's whitestone.org. I'm Kevin Miller.